Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Damien. What marvelous truth. What beautiful truth in that song. Amen. Yes, indeed. All right. Well, my friends, would you please take your Bible now for the message. Our theme today is preventing and overcoming discouragement. I'd like to ask you to turn to 2 Corinthians in the Bible, chapter 4, for this theme of preventing and overcoming discouragement, part 2. I shared part 1 with you in a previous message, and now we want to come to some additional truths that can really help you and me. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we read, Therefore, since God, since God in his mercy has given us this new way, we never give up. We reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God, and all who are honest know this. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the god of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile, fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue, continue to share in the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Verse 11, yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus, so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. Verse 15, all of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, 
Our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this powerful portion of your holy word. Lord, I pray that you would take portions of this scripture and I pray that you would take this message and touch the hearts of your people in accordance with their needs. Let it be so, dear God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. My friends, in part one of this message on preventing and overcoming discouragement, in, prevent, in part one, I shared with you the following truths, just as a little review. Truth number one was this. Why don't you read it with me from the screen? Remember how much God loves you and how merciful God has been towards you. That's right. Remember how much God loves you. When you have those times of discouragement, go back to the good news, the great news, that God Almighty, the creator of this universe, has this personal interest and love for you and for each one of us. And then the second truth we talked about was this. Keep focused on the fact that God has work for you to do. God has a ministry for you to carry out. Keep focused on that fact, all right? He, he has a reason. God has a reason for you being a part of this world. And so remember that and let that inspire you and me and all of us to, to move forward and to overcome discouragements. Then there was a third, a third truth that we, we talked about. Third truth was this. Live an honest life. Be honest with yourself and with God. Live with integrity. When you and I are honest and we live with integrity, then we can say to ourselves, you know what? I, I've done what's right. I am living right. And God must be pleased with me. And I can be encouraged by that fact, right? Then there was a fourth truth, a fourth truth that we focused on, and it is this. Remember, God will not abandon you. Remember, God will not abandon you. All right? Uh, I would encourage you to, if you haven't heard that message, I would encourage you to, to uh, look back at the Rosewood Church of the Nazareth website and listen to that message in its entirety at some point in time. All right, so now today we come to some new truths that I believe can help you and me prevent and overcome discouragement. Here's the first one. Number one, understand, accept, and live within your limitations. That's right. Understand, accept, and live within your limitations. This truth comes from verse 7, where verse 7 
says the following. We know we now have this light shining in our hearts. But, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars. We are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. I want you to think about that. Clay jars are fragile. If you drop them, what happens? They normally break. Clay jars are, are not like some, some plastic containers, let's say like, like Tupperware or other plastic containers where if you drop them, uh, there's a probability that they'll be fine and you can pick them up and use them again and again. Clay jars, however, have limitations. And so do you and I. We all have limitations. And we have to recognize that. Now, why, why is this truth so helpful in preventing and overcoming discouragement? Well, because you and I can get very discouraged if we don't live within our reasonable limitations and, uh, and we try to be Superman or Superwoman or Batman or Wonder Woman or whatever other hero you have read about in comic books and watched on television over the years. You get discouraged when you try to do more than is humanly possible. Now, I'm not, talking about, I'm not talking about us not trying to stretch ourselves. We should stretch ourselves and, and try to do better and try to do more. But the bottom line is, <clears throat> have a realistic view of you. All right? Have a realistic view of yourself. Now, I, I too, I too have to have a realistic view of myself, of Pastor Nick. Well, what are some of the limitations most of us have to live with? What are they? Well, for those of you making notes, you, you can put A, A, live within your physical limitations to begin with. When I was a child and a teenager, I could play a lot of sports very well. How many of you could play a lot of sports very well? Probably most of you, all right? Thank you, Raven. But, but, but you know, I could not play everything really well. Now, I, I don't say this to boast, but for example, I was a very good ice hockey player. I don't know how I got that way, but I did. In fact, I played a championship game on Maple Leaf Gardens, where I scored the only goal for our team. How about a cheer there? Ha, come on now, give me a little cheer, eh? How many of you have ever played at Maple Leaf Gardens, huh? Okay. Now, to be honest with you, we, we lost. We lost the championship three to one. But I was happy that I at least scored a goal for our team, Anthony. How about that, eh? I think I was in grade five or grade six 
when I played in that championship game at Maple Leaf Gardens. Now, some of you, some of you don't know what Maple Leaf Gardens is. <laughs> Isn't that right? That, that's where the Toronto Maple Leafs hockey team used to play their home games. And then in February of 1999, the Maple Leafs moved from the gardens to the new Air Canada Centre. More of you would be familiar with the Air Canada Centre. And then in July of 2018, the Air Canada Centre was renamed Sp Scotiabank Arena, right? What, what I want to say is that when I was a kid, I could play, for instance, ice hockey well, and I could play baseball well, and volleyball, and track and field, but for some reason, for some reason, I could never learn to swim well. Yeah, I just couldn't learn to swim well. Uh, I, had, I had to learn my limitations in terms of swimming. Now, my wife, Cindy, uh, is an excellent swimmer. In fact, she was a lifeguard, okay? She used to do lifeguarding. I had coaching in swimming, but for some reason, this body of mine just, you know, wouldn't handle the water the way, the way it could with some of you. Well, uh, when we are on vacation, I enjoy going into the swimming pool or into the ocean, wherever we are, but I know my limits. And, 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 you know, I, I try to make sure that Cindy is not far away in case I start to drown. <laughs> uh, uh, similarly, similarly, for some reason, I could never excel in gymnastics, all right, in gymnastics. Uh, nowadays, I look at my four-year-old granddaughter, Everly, however, and I say, I say, wow, this child has the potential of becoming a gymnastics star. Uh, her, her joints are just incredibly flexible. My wife Cindy has probably noticed that. It's just amazing what this little girl can do. Uh, she does it, and I think, hey, yay, yay. I could never have done that at any age. All right. We all have physical limitations, for example, as to what we can do in sports and in other areas, right? The more we understand and accept our limitations, the less discouraged we are likely to become. Uh, sometimes I'll watch our 20-month-old grandson Paxton trying to lift, little guys trying to lift or, or move a heavy object, a heavy chair, um, and, and it's way too heavy, way too heavy for him, and he'll just, he'll just uh, gr uh, what did you say, uh, he'll grunt, yeah, he'll grunt and, and he'll roar and try to pick up or move the item, and as he is unsuccessful, he becomes frustrated and discouraged until one of us adults will go over and lift it for him or move it or whatever, and uh, basically little Paxton is still trying to discover his physical limitations. My friends, we need to not only live within our physical limitations, but we need to also live within our gifting limitations to help prevent discouragement. So if you're making notes, item B is live within your gifting limitations. When I was in public school, high school, University of Toronto, and then Nazarene Theological Seminary, I observed 
that students tended to be gifted in about seven different areas. Ah, there might be more, there probably are more, but I kind of, I, I kind of observed especially seven different categories. Uh, here they are, okay, here they are. These category giftings are, number one, intellectual. Intellectual giftings. Number two, athletics or sports, okay. Number three, musical. Number four, arts and crafts. Now, some people were just really gifted in arts and crafts. That's never been a strength of mine. Number five, social skills. Uh, some, some people, some students were like social butterflies, you know. They, they became friends with everybody so quickly and easily. The number six, number six gifting was technical skills, technical skills. Number seven gifting was communication or, or speaking skills. Well, I noticed, I noticed over the years of education I had well, that most students tended to be gifted in three or four of the seven category giftings. Now, there were a few, very few students who were gifted in, in all seven categories. But most of us were strong primarily in three or four of the areas. There is a Bible verse in Proverbs which says, train up a child in the way he or she, in the way he should go. Well, usually we interpret that verse to refer to the matter of disciplining our children, right, and raising them up in the Christian faith. But we can also interpret it as referring to noticing, noticing the ways in which our children and youth are gifted, are gifted, and encouraging them in the areas of their giftedness. You got that? In that way, it will reduce the amount of discouragement your children or youth will experience. That's so true. Here's another area where we need to recognize our limitations to help prevent unnecessary discouragement. Uh, if you're taking notes, it's C, all right, C. Live within your financial limitations. I know some of you are thinking, oh, I don't like that, Pastor Nick. I don't like that. Well, live within your financial limitations. The truth is, we live in a culture where we are constantly bombarded with buy, 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 buy. And all of us have to live within our financial limitations. Otherwise, if we overspend and the bills add up, and uh, when the credit cards are maxed out, what happens? We can end up very, what? Very discouraged. Very discouraged. 
Are, are you and am I living within our financial limitations? That's right. Seek to do so. So, our first major truth today is understand, accept, and live within your, your limitations. Your limitations. Physical, gift-wise, and financially. This will help you to prevent and overcome regular discouragement. All right. Here's a second truth which can help you and me, all of us. Number two. Why don't you read it from the screen with me? Use your pain to help other people. Use your pain to help other people. This truth comes from verses 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Here is verse 8. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. All right. Why and how is the Apostle Paul able to be so resilient? To get knocked down, as verse 9 says, but to, to bounce back and not be knocked out, not be destroyed. How was Paul able to, to put up with so many difficulties? And he doesn't even get into all of them here. He gets into more of them in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. I mean, this is, hui, hui, it's just, it's wow. All right, chapter 11, beginning in verse 23, he says, I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Oh my. I mean, listen to that. Five, verse 24. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have go often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold, cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, 
I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. I mean, that is a little summary of all that the Apostle Paul went through. Now think about it. If Paul were asked, Paul, why? Why did you put up with all that pain and and all those problems, all those headaches? Paul, why did you you put up with all that? Paul's answer would probably be summarized in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, where he says this. He says, all of this is for your benefit. All of this, he says, is for your benefit. That's the New Living Translation. The Living Bible version says, all of these sufferings of ours are for your benefit. What is Paul saying? He is saying, he is saying, my friends, he's saying, I don't give up and I don't get discouraged because I know that what I am doing is helping others. What I am doing is helping others. That's what he is saying. Research has shown that human beings, you and I, can put up with a lot of pain if we see a purpose in it. Pastor Rick Warren says this, he says, if you are going through a lot of pain and you don't, you don't see a purpose in it, it is unbearable. But if you see there is a good purpose in it, then it becomes bearable. How true that is, right? Sometimes you and I will suffer or go through hardships for the benefit of someone else, or the benefit of other people. Now stick with me. In the early part of the year 2020, before COVID started to be a problem in our city of Toronto, I was asked, I was asked to go and see and try and encourage and and pray with a child and his parents at our Toronto Sick Children's Hospital. The child was flown uh, to Toronto from another city out west due to serious illness for what turned out to be the need for a liver transplant to save his life. A lot of testing was done, and in the end, the doctors discovered that the best possible donor of a liver was his father. Surgeons took a a portion of the father's liver and transplanted it into his young son's body. And his little guy at that time was either five, five or six. 
So they transplanted a portion of dad's liver into the little boy's body. Now the great news is that after many weeks of the son and father being in hospital, both recovered and eventually they flew back to their home city. Both the father and son went through a lot of pain after the surgery, but what surprised me, what surprised me is that the father who donated a portion of his liver to save his son's life actually experienced more pain and for a longer period of time than his little son. One of the things that helped the father to cope with his pain was the fact, I believe, was the fact that he knew, he knew his suffering was benefiting his son. That's right. And by the way, for those of you who may not know, when a person donates a portion of their liver, it will gradually regenerate and grow back over a period of months. Now, most of you parents have not had to donate a portion of your liver to save your child's life. And so you haven't gone through that specific kind of pain. But many of you, speaking truthfully, many of you over the years have suffered in different ways for the benefit of your child, for the benefit of your family, or the benefit of someone else. And when you go through physical, emotional, or spiritual pain in your life, it can, it can get you down, right? It can get you down, and it can get you discouraged. And one of the ways you can overcome discouragement is by thinking of how your pain is someone else's gain. Think of how what you are going through is benefiting your, your son or your daughter, your husband or wife or, or someone else. All right? Sometimes the pain you go through may, may not seem like it will be of any value. may not seem like it will be of any value to anyone else. Oftentimes, however, you can use your pain from your past to help you in the present and in the future. For example, many of you have heard me tell of how when I was a child, especially between grades one and six, I, I experienced a lot of prejudice towards me. I was called all kinds of names at school and on the street where I grew up, I was called all kinds of names like you, you lousy wop and you no good for anything this and go back to where you came from you greasy kid and go back to Greece and, and all kinds of worse stuff. I experienced a lot of prejudice towards me mainly, mainly because I was a little boy who came from another country called Greece. I grew up, I grew up with some emotional pain because of the prejudice I experienced towards me. 
However, however, later in life, as a teenager, and then as an adult, I turned that pain into some gain. And what I mean by that is, is that as a teenager and as an, as an adult, I said to myself, I said, I will welcome, I will welcome and love people of all cultures and races and languages, no matter where they were born, or no matter what, what they look like or what kind of clothes they wear. Why? Because I remembered the pain of a child, this child, growing up. Have I done this perfectly? Have I done this perfectly? Probably not. But I do think that my past pain has contributed to my present gain. All right? Pastor Rick Warren is the minister of a very large church in the United States called Saddleback Church. Pastor Rick tells of, of how their son, their son Matthew, from a very young age, struggled with mental illness. Pastor Rick and his wife took their son to the best doctors and the best hospitals in the United States. They and their church spent hours and hours praying for Matthew to be healed from mental illness. And sadly, in April of 2013, April 2013, their dear son, at age 27, committed suicide after a lifelong battle with mental illness. I still remember the day when I heard the terrible, terrible news. Pastor Rick says it was, of course, it was the worst day of his life and the worst day of his dear wife's life. But he says he was determined. He and his wife were determined not to, quote, waste a hurt. They said, we're not going to waste this hurt. And since their son's death from mental illness and suicide, they have invested a lot of time, energy, and money to help other families who have, who have loved ones battling mental illness and suicide. And Pastor Rick says, he still hurts very badly, and his wife still hurts very badly over the death of their son. But, he says, he will not waste a hurt. Instead, he will help other people because of his hurt. My friend, what pain, what pain have you gone through which the Lord can use to help other people? For example, Perhaps when you were a child, you often felt like you were left out or, or made fun of. Maybe that happened to you. Now, as a, as a grown-up, use, use that memory of that pain to inspire you to do your best 
to not let someone feel, don't let someone feel left out, whether it's at, at home, at church, at school, uh, at work, uh, wherever you are. Don't let someone feel left out and, and, and do to the best of your ability, do what you can to make sure someone is not made fun of. Amen? Here's another example. Perhaps when you were a teenager, you may not have been the most popular student in your school for whatever reasons. Maybe you felt, you felt like a nobody and you still remember the pain. As Pastor Rick Warren would say, don't waste a hurt. Don't waste that hurt. Now, as an adult, let the memory of your hurt inspire you to help anyone you meet to, to feel like a somebody at work, at school, at church, at the grocery store, or wherever. Now, oftentimes, it's saying or, or doing little things which can help a person feel like a somebody. That's right. For instance, for instance, this week when I popped into a store to buy some groceries, I, I said to the dear lady at the entrance of the store who was asking arriving customers if they had any COVID symptoms, she, um, you know, was just asking, sir, do, do you have any COVID sy sy symptoms? Have you been out of the country? Uh, you know the questions that are often asked as we go into the stores. Well, I, I simply said to this dear lady, I said, thank you. Thank you for your work here. What you are doing is very important, and I appreciate your work. That's all I said. And she looked at me. She looked at me almost shocked and said, Sir, thank you for what you just said to me. It means so much to me because hardly anyone ever says anything to me about my work. Thank you for expressing your appreciation. And obviously, obviously, I didn't say anything earth-shattering to her, but the few words I spoke to her helped her to feel like a somebody at a time when maybe, maybe she was feeling like a nobody. Huh? Paul the Apostle used his pain to help others. Use your pain to help others, would you? Think of ways in which your pain can be someone else's gain and it will help you to prevent and overcome your own discouragement. A few years ago, I listened to a, a football player tell of how he had earned, maybe you, you watched this gentleman as well, I listened to a football player tell of how he had earned over $100 million. 
Anthony, what does a hundred million dollars look like? I don't know either. He earned over a hundred million dollars, but he had to declare bankruptcy. I thought, you're kidding. I remember thinking, how can you earn over a hundred million dollars and still go broke? It happened to him. And what I admired about him was the fact that after he went bankrupt, he was holding talks or seminars for other high-paid athletes, and he was saying to them, here is how I blew $100 million. Don't you do the same. Don't you do the same. What was he doing? He was using his pain to help others. How might you turn your pain into helping others in the days ahead? How might you? Now, I'm going to ask some of you, I'm going to ask some of you who are watching and listening, who are also doing something else, I want to ask you to please focus, focus just on what I am about to tell you so that you don't miss, you don't miss the beauty and the power of this story. All right, you need to focus, put aside other stuff that you're doing and maybe also listening and watching this service. I, I'm indebted to Pastor Milton Basil of our congregation here at Rosewood Church of the Nazarene who first sent me this incredible story. It just, it just overwhelmed me, touched my heart. Here it is, here it is. Over 80 years ago in Greece, 60,000 Jews lived peacefully in Thessaloniki, where some of us pronounce the city Thessalonica. Over 60,000 Jews lived in Thessaloniki, the city on the coast towards the northern part of Greece. Uh, we have two letters in our Bible, First and Second Thessalonians, which were written to the Christian church in Thessaloniki by the Apostle Paul in the first century. Around 1940, about 60,000 Jews lived in Thessalonica. It was a, it was a very va uh, valued, the Jewish community was very valued and vibrant, and most of the Jews worked in the port. It was a very busy port, so much so that the port of Thessaloniki was even closed on Saturday, the Jewish Sabbath. Great emeritus rabbis also lived and studied there. Everyone rubbed shoulders and appreciated each other. Things have been going fine with the Jewish community. Soon after World War II started, however, on April 6, 1941, Hitler's German armies 
invaded Greece in order to secure its southern front before launching the famous Operation Barbarossa and its great offensive against Russia. And sadly, when Hitler's armies attacked Greece, they rounded up the dear Jewish people around Thessaloniki, and they killed, they killed and exterminated about 50,000, that's five, zero, 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 zero. They exterminated about 50,000 Jews at the Birkenau concentration camp. Birkenau is B as in beautiful, I-R-K-E-N-A-U. These dear Jews were exterminated at the Birkenau concentration camp. The massacre of the Jews from Thessaloniki was brief but intense. And very few of the Jewish people had a chance to survive. But among the survivors, among the survivors, there was a family known as Burla, B-O-U-R-L-A. Among the survivors was this Burla family. And somehow the Burla Jewish family survived the concentration camps. After World War II, in 1961, the Burla family had a baby boy. They had a baby boy and his parents called him Israel-Abraham. Abraham grew up and studied veterinary medicine in Greece, and he turned out to be a brilliant student. Abraham went on to earn his doctorate in reproductive biotechnology at the Aristotle University. At the age of 34, Abraham moved to the United States and he then changed his name from Abraham to Albert, A-L-B-E-R-T. Albert was integrated into the medical industry in the United States. Now stick with me, stick with me now, stick with me. Albert progressed quickly in his career and he joined, he joined a pharmaceutical company where he soon became head manager. Abraham, now known as Albert, rose quickly through the ranks he rose quickly through the ranks at the pharmaceutical company, and in 2019, Albert was appointed as the chief, the chief executive officer of Pfizer, P-F-I-Z-E-R. He was appointed the chief executive officer, the CEO of Pfizer, one of the world's leading major producers of drugs and medications. 
in 2020, last year, in 2020, Albert led the Pfizer Corporation in spending a lot of time, money, manpower, and technology in developing a vaccine to combat COVID-19. And towards the end of 2020, after very thorough testing, Pfizer's vaccine against COVID was approved for use by the United States and, of course, by many other countries like Canada. Ironically, ironically, the Pfizer vaccine, which has been saving the lives of millions of people around the world, including many Germans, was led. The vaccine and the development of the Pfizer vaccine was led and pushed by a little Jew from Thessaloniki, son of Holocaust survivors from whom most of his people were exterminated by Nazi Germany. Perhaps, perhaps you heard that Israel was the first country, the first country to receive the COVID-19 vaccine when it was first developed. Why was Israel the first to receive the vaccine shipments? Why was Israel first? It was because It was because in memory of his grandparents and parents, Abraham Bourla, known today as Albert Bourla, CEO of Pfizer Corporation, wanted Israel, Israel to be the first to receive the COVID vaccine in their war against COVID. Albert Bourla could not change history. Albert Bourla, a little boy who came from Thessaloniki, could not change the fact that about 50,000 Jews from his hometown or home city of Thessaloniki were destroyed by the Nazis in 1941. He could not change the agony that his parents and his grandparents and many other relatives and other Jews went through because of the concentration camps. He couldn't change that. And Albert no doubt grew up hearing the painful stories of what happened to Jews during World War II. He must have grown up with a lot of emotional pain. Nevertheless, 
Nevertheless, I believe God guided that little Jewish boy from Thessaloniki. God guided him through his academic work and through his skills and, and perseverance to become CEO of Pfizer Corporation. And there, there at Pfizer, he used his scientific training and his skills and his leadership abilities to help his company develop, develop a vaccine that is saving millions of lives around the world from COVID. Albert Bourla used his pain for other people's gain. He used his pain to help others. May God, may God use your pain and mine to help others. In so doing, it will help you to prevent and overcome discouragement. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Lord, dear Lord, thank you for wanting to use our pain for other people's gain. Thank you for wanting to use the hardships that we've gone through or are going through to help other people. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for using the pain of Jesus your Son on the cross of Calvary so that we would have gain, that we would gain the forgiveness of sins as we put our faith and trust in Jesus, that we would gain the presence of your Holy Spirit in our lives, that we would gain the promise of heaven because Jesus paid it all for us on the cross of Calvary. He was bruised for our iniquities, chastised for us. We thank you for paying the price for our sins so that now indeed we have so much to gain. Lord, we express our gratitude to you for blessing us with salvation, for blessing us with forgiveness of our sins. And now, Lord, as we prepare to partake of the Lord's Supper, I pray that you would help all of us to have this great sense of appreciation that Jesus went through so much pain for our gain. 
And so we are encouraged. Instead of being discouraged, we are encouraged because we know that you love us and you loved us so much that you went to the cross in the person of Jesus, your Son, to pay the price for our sins. And now we read in your Holy Bible, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For you have paid it all, all to Jesus we owe. Lord, may you touch these common elements, the bread and the cup, whatever we might use today to celebrate the Lord's Supper, whatever we use, Lord, whether it's the communion cups we serve here at Rosewood Church of the Nazarene or whether it's a cracker and, and, a, and, a, and a juice that people take in their own kitchen from their fridge or wherever. Dear Lord, we celebrate our faith and we are encouraged knowing that our sins are forgiven and that we are a part of the family of God through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.